Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. All right, Galatians chapter number one. We're going to go verse by verse this morning. You can't go wrong if you stay in the Bible. How did Paul get the gospel? Galatians chapter 1, verse number 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. It's not after man. Directly from Jesus Christ. This is the origin. We can also certify these two things. The Scriptures are our final authority. The Scriptures are held in much, much higher regard than any other writings. When Paul or any of the writers pen these words, it was inspired by God. It's God-breathed. The Holy Spirit directing what they write. Our trust is not in Paul. We can be certified that the Scriptures are above any other writings, and we can be certified that when Paul pens something down, We're not trusting Him. We're trusting the Holy Spirit by faith. By faith in what He was penned to write. Let's pray and we'll dive into it. Heavenly Father, help me. I know we're getting into Your Word. I'm going to take a minute to get my mind and my heart right. Help me to say the words You'd have me to say with the right attitude. Lord, be with us. Please help us. We trust You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, verse number 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. First thing I would like to say here is that he he received it. God freely offers a gift of salvation to all who would believe, but they must receive it. Paul received it. Speaking to a lost person, trying to get them to understand the things of God, Give them the opportunity. Put the offer out there for them to receive it. Don't walk them through a ABC, one, two, three, repeat after me prayer. But remember, put the offer, put the invitation. All are invited. Please receive it. Paul did. He says, neither, but I, he didn't receive it of man. He wasn't taught it. But by the revelation of Jesus Christ, that was the direct source he got it from. Produced by the revelation of who? None other than Jesus Christ. People say, you've heard it, I've heard it. God just told me. God, He just really spoke to my heart. I just, I really just have peace about it. Really, God told you to leave your husband. Really, God told you to leave your wife. Really, God told you to... People come up with all of these things in their head and they can't find it in Scripture. But God spoke to their heart. <laughs> God really spoke to my heart and He really wanted me to cause a dissension. And, and, and this is how people justify all of the silly things that they do. How do we know God spoke to our heart? Does it line up with God's Word? then we know the Holy Spirit is speaking to our heart. 
But people just want to believe what they want to believe. We have to ask, where do you find it in Scripture? Other people, pe- people say too, well, God just called me. We find this a lot in church circles. You know, someone sitting in church for a year or sitting in church for two years, they really haven't done much public evangelism at all. They haven't witnessed. Uh, they don't preach at nursing homes. They don't try to get into any jails. They haven't passed out any gospel tracts. They don't preach open air. They don't try to get involved in one-on-one witness. But all of a sudden, after one or two years of not contributing anything to evangelism, they say, God really called me to Mongolia. <laughs> really? Well, if He called you, what have you been doing here? And when you point that out to them, they might get offended. If we're going to say God called us, God's people are going to want to see some fruit. <laughs> now, great, if you're called to Mongolia, fine. You want to tell the Mongolian people about Jesus Christ, great. But let's first start right here in local Cookville. Come on out with us on the weekend. Come on out on us to this next event. We want to see the calling of God's life on you. Well, it's a spiritual calling. It is a spiritual calling. But there should be some fruit that's produced. God's people want to see God's call on your life. Paul says, verse 12, For I never received a man, neither was taught by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He gets it direct from the source. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. What does it say? For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Paul, his religion wasn't his source. This is difficult to get across to people. How many times have we talked to someone, I grew up in a preacher's home. I go to such and such church. I've been a Christian my whole life. Now those are nice things to say, but I want to hear, I realized I was a sinner. I trusted in what God did for me by sending His Son and paying my sin debt on the cross. Don't you want to hear some things like this rather than, well, I... Grew up in a Christian home. Well, I went to Christian school. Well, I... I know we don't want to confront people, but when we hear these things out of people's mouths, when we're talking to them about eternity, we are duty-bound to confront them. We must make Christ known. It's confrontational, I know. But Paul says... His religion wasn't the source. Which means all of his teachers weren't the source either. Matter of fact, he says, I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it. You know what Saul of Tarsus was? He was a ritualist. You know what we need to be careful of today? Ritualism. He put everybody in his religion, in the Jewish religion, Saul, he put everybody to shame. 
He was the man. I mean, he was the mark. He didn't do anything half-heartedly. That was Saul before he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He admits readily that he was the deadliest enemy of Christianity, but he kept his religion better than anybody. Yet he readily admits he was the enemy. And that's what spiritual blindness does. That's when they take the thoroughbreds and they put those blinders on them so they don't see this way and they don't see that way. It's just dead on. No distraction. Nothing is going to prohibit them from just staying on that path. And you know what we have today? Spiritual blinders. People can't see forward and they can't see left or right because they got their blinders on. We've got to help them see the amazing grace of God. I'm going to say to you this morning that Jesus Christ and ritualism are diametrically opposed and complete opposites. The cross and the crucifix are completely opposed. What do you mean by that? A crucifix. That's one fixed on a cross. That's Romanism in a nutshell. He's not dead on a cross. He rose and is alive forevermore. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's our Savior. It's the cross. We don't have a crucifix with a dead Jesus. We have an empty cross. We have an empty tomb. We have a Savior that's alive. And He must be made known. It doesn't matter if we're small in number. Christ died for our sins and we make Him known to every lost person that we come across. He's the one we come to hear about and worship. Ritualism and Jesus Christ are complete opposites. And ritualism will get rid of Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ will move in and get rid of ritualism. But it's one or the other. Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, and profited, look at this, in the Jews' religion. His identity was with the Jewish religion. Above many my equals and mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers, he had zeal, complete zeal in his tradition. Which is why we're against Formalism, ritualism, formalism. People are attracted to formalism. They're fascinated by it. They'd rather believe in outward ceremonies. Their mind rests in the externals of religion. Brother Kelly and I were speaking a little bit before church service. People have in their mind that church should look like this modern outfit that's going all over our nation. And they keep putting that picture out there. Boom, 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 boom. It's not it. 
It's not supposed to look like these big mega churches are trying to make it look. If the Holy Spirit is living within your heart and your heart is filled with the love of Christ and you want to live your life in accord to God's Word, you will love to sing His praises and hymns and spiritual songs. But when He's not, you need a light show. You need big bands, big performances, big lights, big shows, big cameras. You need that to outwardly display excitement because it's not in your heart. I'm telling you, people get excited about stuff all the time. We all get excited about stuff. We're so excited about it, we can't stop thinking about it. God, help me. As soon as the weather breaks and the sun is shining, God, help me driving by the, the tractor's place on, on 111. Just God, help me. I'm going to be thinking about that boy. Oh, look at that front end loader. Whoo! Yeah. I'll research it. Can't help myself. Or can I? Now look, I'm not saying I'm necessarily sinning, but what I am saying, I can necessarily get out of line and put too much stock in. We can all relate to these things. What I'm saying is this modern church that's being portrayed as Christian in America, if it's based on externals, it ain't. It ain't Christian. Two ways people will try to kill Christianity. They're either going to deny it flat out or they're going to disorder it. They're going to try to make it into something that's not. And Paul's dealing this, with this with the Galatian people. It's not one church. It's Galatians as a whole. If, if you're going to sell lumber, do you put stock in the bark? What that tree looks like on the outside? Or are you putting stock in the precious timber that's on the inside? Some of you work with wood quite a bit. You know that the inside, that precious timber is more important. If you're an author, if you're a book writer, is it the fancy cover? You know, we took the kids, they had, one of the libraries had a book sale and it was 50 cents to a dollar on a book. So we go and they look around at all the tables and it, my wife and I were looking around and we see, that, I mean, the cover catches your attention, right? That initially gets your eye to look at it. Then you read the title. That's the second thing. And then you open on. But what's more important? The elegant cover of the book? or the literary genius that's inside the book. We all know, right? We've read, some of us have picked up books, we've read it, and we're like, that, that, that's junk. <laughs> Cover's nice, but the literature inside is just not. A building. God help me. I never want to build a building again. What, what an idea. What an idea that was. Uh, you know, and people tell me, you, you're, just, you're just not used to it. 
people that build all the time, like you're just not used to it. We deal with this stuff all the time, every day, every minute, every hour. What are they telling me? They're saying, look, relax. I'm used to it. You're not. I know how to deal with it. You don't know how to deal with it. And that might be a warning to say, if you don't know how to deal with it, and if you can't deal with it, and if it doesn't align with your personality, then don't do it. <laughs> but a building. Beautiful architecture. Some of these churches, these Roman Catholic churches, are ornate. They're some of the most beautifully artistic buildings in the world. What's more important? The architecture of the building or the people inside the building? I'm telling you, we've forgotten about people. We've forgotten about souls. We've forgotten about what God can do with the actual people inside buildings and we've made it all about ornate decorations and beautiful architecture and million-dollar buildings. If that's what has to happen to get people to come to church, then don't come to church because they come for the wrong reasons. I want people to come. You want people to come. I want people to want to come for the right reasons. God's Word! Isn't it supposed to convict us? Isn't it supposed to tell us we're wrong? Isn't it? It is. It's supposed to give us a shot in the mouth. Oh, man, that hurt. Whew. Sometimes we need more ouches than amens. <laughs> Paul. He studied the law, he knew it by heart, and he became a champion of a lifeless system. I don't want that to be us. You and I, we can know all the rules of the church. We can know all the rules of the Bible. We can know all the stuff that's been handed down generation after generation, tradition after tradition. It's humanistic. Authority. Human rules, human ritualism, human formalism. When all that is exalted, it becomes just a glorious waste of time. We're not exalting formalism and ritualism and religion. We're exalting a religious savior that has divine authority. That's the type of authority that we want. And I'm just telling you, there's no way that you and I can study God's word and not be completely opposed to ritualism and formalism and man-made religion. There's no way a man can read God's Word and not be convinced that that stuff's junk. But the Galatians, they didn't have the book of Galatians in their hand. <laughs> so Paul's in, he's, he's, he's in a pickle here. He's trying to help these folks figure this thing out. Now what else does it say in verse number 14? If you're with me, say amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. I think practically we need to be able to admit some things that we've been zealous about. 
Why? I got a couple of reasons why it's good for us to admit we're wrong. It can help others see the freedom that is found in the grace of the gospel of Christ. Doesn't mean you dump all your dirty laundry on them and all your baggage on them, but tell them your story. Everybody's got a testimony. Here else why I think we should be able to admit when we were zealously wrong about something. Can God get some glory from it? If He can, we should be willing to admit to someone, here's where we went wrong. Here's where I went wrong. And allow God to get some glory. Third reason I think we should be able to admit when we were zealous about something and we found out we were wrong about it you don't want to be a copycat criminal and it's just passed on from one neighbor to the next or one person to the next or one generation to the next generation because people just see the same old same old and that's why they say well all christians are hypocrites and they're not. You know that. I know that. Well, all Christians are miserable. You know they're not. I know they're not. But because there's a lot of hypocrites and there's a lot of Christians that people think, well, they're just miserable. They can't do anything. Admit you're wrong so people can see there's a difference in you. Don't you want to know that there's a difference between true biblical Christianity and what we used to believe and trust in? That's what people want to know. Is it real? Are you real? We, we're going to get to this in Galatians 5 later, but we're always bent toward error. The human mind always is. And that's why we're told to live and to walk in the Spirit. All right, well, in verse number 15, what's the Bible say? Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. What was the source of revelation? God. No merit from Paul at all. Now, grace is not aesthetics. Aestheticism is the doctrine that teaches outward beauty is the highest ideal to reach. I don't want you to come away with this thinking that I don't think we should take care of a building and I don't think that we should paint a building and I don't think that we should vacuum the carpet in the building and I don't think that we should replumb the building if it needs it. You know I'm for that. But I am to say, I don't care what the building looks like. But I do. Well, what do you mean? If you're coming for the building, it's not the church. If you're coming for the building, that's a physical blessing. It isn't going to be spiritual. I want you to get fed from God's Word. The men that teach Sunday school are going to feed you from God's Word. Well, that's boring. Maybe your heart's boring. <laughs> Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the boring one and God's got the exciting news, but your life is so drowned with the world and all this aestheticism. 
Find the biggest mega church in Tennessee and send me and Brother Kelly over there for Sunday school and Sunday morning service. And we're going to preach straight down the line the Bible. Watch how many people come back the next week. I don't know what to do. These people are scaring me. They're mean. No, you're mean because you're against God and you're against His Word and you're against Bible preaching and you're against going through verses. And we don't make you feel all tingly and tickly and lovey-dovey and like a big melted marshmallow inside. I want to feel like a marshmallow sometimes too. We all do. But come on. It's God's Word we're talking about. We don't need aestheticism. Grace is not aestheticism. Grace humbles you. It's made to subdue your pride. It should help you realize your stubbornness. It should give you a teachable heart. And that's why the Bible says, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You see a proud heart. I want to be careful how I say this. I want you to be careful how you listen to me say this. You see a proud heart, don't give them grace. Resist them. Give them God's law. Give them God's wrath. Give them God's damnation. People believe it. They hit their finger with a hammer. You know what they're going to say? God, damn it. You don't want God to damn you. You want Him to... People believe in damnation. The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth. Give them God's law. But as soon as you see a hint of humbleness on one little thing, give them God's grace. Give them God's grace. Because that's going to soften their heart and their stubbornness and bring them to repentance. We're not giving them law and wrath and God's anger and all that to beat them up. We're trying to give them that so they can see their need for a Savior. And now the gift of grace looks so much more beautiful. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 16. How many more verses? we got two more. Two more verses. We can do it. To reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Heathen. Okay, so what was the immediate purpose of the Gospel? To reveal His Son in me. See that? Right in the beginning of the verse. That's the purpose. To reveal His Son in me. Just like the twelve had Paul, who was not part of the twelve, got it direct from the source as well. His apostleship is just as authoritative even though he wasn't part of the twelve. Go over to Galatians chapter 2 for a second. Look at verse number 8. It says, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me. This is Paul speaking under Holy Spirit inspiration toward the Gentiles. He got it directly from God. His authority was the same. It says, To reveal His Son in me. If you want change in your life, 
here it is. The Son revealed. The words of Christ should open your eyes. The preaching of the cross should open your ears. Your mind, your soul, your heart will be changed. What type of change are we talking about? A spiritual change. Well, nobody's coming. We're small in number. We'll just sell the building for a million five and to some big outfit out of Nashville and they'll redo the whole thing. Maybe they'll implode it, build up another building and within six months they'll have all the seats filled. Yep, see those guys, they didn't have it right and we just brought in a new outfit and see all the people? Yeah, that's God's in it. No, He's not. We have to pray and we have to trust and we have to hope and we have to go by the Bible and God's in it. I can fake it. You can fake it. We can make it look like it's something that it's not. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be in a church like that. I don't want to direct or lead people like that. I want God to be in it. I want to trust Him. I want to rely on Him. Look, I, did, I get discouraged just like you get discouraged. I get sad like you get sad. I do. Probably more so. But I'm not going to change God's Word. Christ has been revealed in me. I'm excited about that. That's the only thing going in this world. We got it. We got the goods. We got the value because we've got Christ. I'm telling you, God's going to do something. He's been doing something for the last year and a half that I've been here in this town. I've watched Him. I've watched Him work in His people. I've watched Him work in so many ways. He's been revealed. We're going to keep revealing Him to people. That's all we can do. Hope, pray, reveal, preach the gospel. And then it says, among the heathen. Now, it takes two people to argue. Don't. You can't say you're not going it's to. A, it's a poor decision to say, I'm not going to get married because I just don't want to argue. If you get married, you're going to argue. It's two people that think they're right. And in the wife's mind, she's always right. And if she concedes to her husband, she probably thinks, I'm just conceding because I don't want to fight anymore. And then the husband thinks he's always right. And if he concedes to his wife, he just thinks, I'm just going to concede because I don't want to fight anymore. All that's wrong thinking. The bottom line is everybody's going to fight. Everybody's going to have an argument. Everybody's going to have a problem. It's common to man. I want to have children. You do? Well, they're going to fight. Oh, no, not my kids. No, they're going to fight. No, not mine. Yes, they are. They're going to fight. Everybody fights. So this irate lady comes to the, to the counter of, a, uh, of the airline before the flight's boarding, and she's insistent on her first-class seat. I know I have a first-class seat. And the, and the agent behind the counter is saying, uh, Ma'am, no, you, you, didn't, you didn't purchase a first-class seat. Yes, I did. And I need to make sure that I have my first class seat. I'm, I'm traveling with little Pookie and little Pookie has to be in her little crate in the first class seat. And I, and I bought that first class seat. And this scene is being created. Everybody along the, the airline, they're all seeing this. And, and the, the, the kind lady behind the counter is trying to nicely and sweetly show her evidence that, lady, you ain't got a first class seat. And apart from saying, sit down and shut up, she's being as nice as she can. But finally, the bell goes off in her head. The light bulb goes off. And as this lady is irately trying to 
create all this drama in the middle of the airport. The gate agent kindly says, looks down, looks up, looks down, looks up and says, ma'am, you know what? You're right. You do have a first class seat. All the seats on this plane are first class. And she goes on. That's a pretty good way to stop an argument, isn't it? I don't believe in God. I don't believe this. And then he goes on. You can escalate that whole thing when you're witnessing to somebody. You know what, sir? You're right. You don't believe in God. I understand that. You don't have to agree with Him. I understand what you're saying. I hear you. I get it. Let him talk. Let him get it out. We don't always have to argue with people because we know there's a difference between truth and belief. What we have is true. It doesn't matter if the person we're talking to doesn't believe it. It doesn't change that it's true. <laughs> we don't need to get bent out of shape. As frustrating it is, it is. If something's true, it's still true. You know what people do at sports? They don't need proof that their team is better. They just believe that their team is better. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't win the championships. Yeah, but you, you know the stats on this guy against this guy. You, I mean, you put it together. I mean, they're, 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 it's the better team. Yeah, but they didn't win anything. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. What they have is a belief. People don't want truth. They just want to believe in something. <laughs> they do it all the time with sports. The so conversation is about truth. If you and I believe we can fly, it doesn't matter. It's just a belief. A belief. Gravity, the truth of gravity, isn't going to change because of our belief. Hundreds of heathen religions, and they believe their religion is true, but all of them can't be true. And so people reason, I've got to believe in this. They want truth. They believe what they have is true. And that's why people argue. You know how the sports world changed in 1962 or 1963? It changed dramatically by the, by the invention of the instant replay. And it changed the whole world of sports, watching on TV especially. Tony Verna invented the instant replay. It was first used in the Army-Navy game in 1962. The machine weighed 1,300 pounds. You know what they found out? Raleigh Stitchway didn't really get a touchdown. <laughs> That's what they found out. Good old Raleigh. He didn't make the points. You know what else came out in the 60s? 1967? The freeze frame. They could stop it. And that was the big rise in TV sports. You couldn't really see much watching it from a TV until all of this. But now, they could go back and watch it and see what the truth was. Did he fumble the ball or not fumble the ball? They can bring it back, replay it again, and then freeze frame it. Whoa! It's pretty good stuff. You know what they did? Go back, find out what the truth is. 
Instead of arguing about it, all the refs can accept the truth. But people don't want to believe. They don't want to believe the truth of God's Word. They don't want the truth. Yeah, but science confirms it. They don't want it. The Bible lines up everything scientifically. They don't want to hear it. All the evidence shows the Bible is true. They don't want to see the evidence. They just want to believe. Right? You, you, you picking up what I'm putting down? It's a, a, a final truth. I don't like buying cars. Because there's a salesman there. And we all know what car salesmen do. You know, when you go and buy a car, you know what you bring? When you go onto the lot, if you're not ready to buy a car, the car salesman knows it. Because you're going to offer him an objection. Well, do you have this in emerald green? <laughs> no. Mm. So, you know, you're still looking. Do you have this in a V8? Oh, no. Every objection that I would bring up on a car lot, or if you go to a car lot and bring up the objection, every objection that you bring up is just to solidify your belief that I'm not really wanting to buy. <laughs> and you're making yourself feel good about not telling the guy, look, I'm not ready to buy, I just want to waste your time. <laughs> so you know what good old Zig came up? Zig Ziglar? Most of you should know who Zig is. He's a, he's a Christian man. But he did, he, his big thing was he was a salesman. And so what Zig came up with was this. Sir, you know, you're selling him a car. You would say, sir, if I can get you an emerald green Jaguar with a V8 with the tires you want today, would there be any other reason why you wouldn't buy it today? And what he did is he taught these salesmen, quit wasting time with these people. They're not ready to buy. Give them a brochure, send them on their way, and get with the next guy who's ready to buy. And what he did was he got to the bottom line. If I can get it for you today, overcome all those objections, would you believe? If I can show you in the Bible right now today that you have no hope of your own salvation, that all these points of science that you're trying to say contradict the Bible, if I can clear up those contradictions for you today from the Bible, would you be willing and ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? Most people say, no. But get to the bottom line. Somehow, try to find a way to get to the bottom line. Objections allows people to believe what they want to believe. We have to be careful, though, of not trying to prove we are right and allowing God's Word to resist the proud and give grace to the humble. Remember, it's God's Word we want them to see. And that's what allows them to see themselves for who they are. Because they need to see that. Also, we see in Galatians, we see that this division has been broken down. This Jew and Gentile fight, it's, we're all one in Christ. So to reveal the Son of me that I might preach him among the heathens, heathens, heathen, I'm sorry, heathen. Verse 16, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, 
but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. A couple of things, and we're winding down. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He didn't call a meeting with anybody. He didn't need the twelve who were called before him to prove that what he has is right. His source was Jesus Christ. He's defending his authority and his apostleship. Now Proverbs 24 says, in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And there is, and that's true. But you know what, in Paul's case, right here, right now, it's not. I didn't go up to Jerusalem. I didn't confer with any man or woman with flesh and blood. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. You know what Paul did after he got saved? He preached immediately. He started telling others about the living Savior. Gentlemen, you know what we do after we get the new truck? The whole neighborhood knows. Boys, you know what we do after we get a new, uh, a new ball glove and a new ball bat? Everybody in the, in the playground knows. Girls, you know what you do when you get a new dress? Everybody at church knows. Everybody should know immediately after we get saved who the risen Savior is. If you're called to preach, go preach. Exhaust yourself. Fully dedicate yourself. Spend all your energy. Boldly declare it. Eagerly announce it. Sincerely try to reach people. Somebody that's called to preach will find a nursing home to preach at, will find a street corner to stand on, will find people gathering to give gospel tracts out. They don't need a pulpit. They're going to find a way to find somebody and tell them about Jesus. Men, women, boys, and girls, go preach. You don't need a pulpit. Go find somebody and tell them about Jesus. All right, last point, then we'll wind down and we'll get this, we'll get into the uh, final descent here. All right, let's go back to Exodus chapter 2. I want to wrap up one key thought, our last key thought. Things can be dangerous. Things can be unsuccessful in the beginning. Why? Because God wants us to depend on His blessing and His provision rather than our own and human provision. And, and, and That's why things can sometimes be unsuccessful in the beginning. Exodus chapter 2, watch. Verse number 1. Oh, that's, that's Genesis. Exodus chapter 2, verse number 1, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done of him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. When she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him, and said, This was one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? 
Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. The maid went, called the mother's child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. That's a rough start. That's Moses. It's a tough way to start life. You're just being put out in the river there. And Jeremiah 1, verse 19, it says, And they shall fight against thee. This is talking about Jeremiah. And they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Jeremiah, rough start. Moses, rough start. Dangerous. That's dangerous for a little baby to be out there. Jeremiah, dangerous. Unsuccessful in the beginning. We don't depend on human luck. We don't depend on random chance. We don't depend on wishing upon a star. Here's another, th another thing. Look at the apostles. Most missionaries are called to one area. Most church planters are called to one area. I like how Jeb and Sarah, they said, though, you know, on their missionary, on their prayer card, they say to Indonesia and where? And beyond. Because, it, you know, because it's so hostile there. Hey, wherever the Lord calls me, I'll go. And we ought to be like that. But typically today, people are typically called to one location. And that one location does, it, it gives, people do this because it gives more stability. You know, you can really build a church family if the preacher's there. Now, not to say there's nothing wrong with these guys that go around. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is these apostles weren't called to one location. They were going wherever God directed them, wherever the need was. Imagine living like that. You say, that's rough. That's dangerous. Well, their charge was go ye into all the world. <laughs> so they did. Place to place, town to town, person to person. All right, we'll wrap it up. Get ready. Your final descent, get your laptops up and your all your stuff is stowed. Get your seats up and here we go. Verse number 11, just to recap before we touch ground. Verse 11 says, what's the source? Where does this gospel certifiably come from? That's verse 11. Verse number 12, was it received? Yes, but Paul says, it wasn't received from man. I wasn't taught it. It wasn't my past religion and my teachers. I received it from God. Verse 13, what about my past religion? He reiterates, nope, not my past religion. Verse 14, as a matter of fact, Paul says, he admits, readily admits, my identity was, was with my religion. Verse 15, okay, so what's the source? The source is God. It pleased God. He called me by His grace. And then the last two, look at verse 16. What's the immediate purpose? The immediate purpose? To reveal His Son in me. Verse 16, we also see the functional purpose. What was the functional purpose? To evangelize. To preach Him where? Among the heathen. Let's try to find a heathen to evangelized too this week. And then lastly, verse 17. Does Paul really need to discuss this with anybody? Nope. I'm saved. I got the goods. I don't need to consult with the 12. 
I have just as much authority from God as they did. Let's get after it. Those principles in mind, let's tackle this week upcoming with that on our hearts and minds. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray it was a help to everyone that was here. Help we can uh, make some application and, and live more glorious for You, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church, where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.